Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter number 3. First Corinthians chapter number three. That'll be a, a jumping off point, if you will. And uh, we'll, lay, we'll lay a couple of things down here as the theme of the message, and then we'll get right into it. How about that? Brother Adam, do me a favor. Go to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11. Read, read that verse for me, and then would you pray for the message as soon as you're done reading that verse, please. For other foundations no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to be in church tonight. Lord, just thank you for the freedom that we have. I thank you for the grace that you've given us. Lord, and I just pray that you now be with Brother Joe. Lord, I thank you for the songs that were sung tonight, Lord, that were uplifting to you, Lord, that glorified you. Lord, I just pray that uh, you help our hearts to be receptive to what uh, what you've laid on, on Joe's heart. Lord, I just pray that you fill him with your spirit, Lord, and just uh, help us to leave here having changed from what we heard. Lord, I just pray that you'd uh, get any uh, evil spirit out of here, anything that would hinder the work of, of the Lord. Jesus, and I just thank you for, for the sacrifice that you made for us at Calvary. Lord, I thank you that uh, the tomb was found empty, Lord, and that you did rise again the third day. Yes. Lord, I'm just grateful to, to be in church tonight. Lord, I just thank you for everything you've done. Again, bless the message, Lord, and speak to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I'd like to, by way of introduction, maybe go through a few verses and kind of show you the route in which we're going. But the verse in which was read is, uh, For no other foundation can uh, no man lay than that is laid which is Jesus Christ. Now, very foundational verse, if you will, uh, no pun intended, but the foundation that we're talking about here is obviously the one that Jesus Christ paid for on, on Calvary. And uh, we know the context of this passage is, is uh, the judgment seat of Christ. And the judgment seat of Christ uh, tells us in verse number 12 that if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble. So we understand that uh, the foundation uh, in which we stand upon spiritually is the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? The foundation that I live my life by is built upon the foundation that Jesus Christ laid for me uh, before uh, I ever got saved. And once I accepted him as my Savior, now he's my foundation. But again, a foundation is just merely a, a, a base layer, right? It's a base layer. And, and that foundation was given to us. And the Bible tells us that we can then build upon it. Do you understand that principle? Now we have a foundation, and the Bible says now we should build upon that. And he tells us that if we build upon it gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or stubble. Okay, now again, those are, those are our works. Those are things that can be done in our flesh as we're, as we're still breathing and we have time here on this earth to work and do for Jesus Christ. Um, and those are the ways we get rewards in heaven. But I'd like to say this as a, as a fundamental principle of the church is we have a foundation which is Jesus Christ and we're to build on that foundation. We're to build upon it. Uh, let's get a little bit more light. Go to Ephesians chapter number 2. Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to make you flip some pages tonight. Not very many, but some. Just to let you know you're still in church. All right, Ephesians chapter 2, look in verse number 20. 
and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building, look at this, fitly framed together, groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together of inhabitation of God through the Spirit. Okay, so we see here, we, we see the reference to the foundation yet again, but there's more to the foundation, and that is the foundation, and then he, he calls out the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone, and then in verse 21 it says that the building is fitly framed together. And so in building terms, you have a foundation, and then what you have to do with the foundation is you then have to frame a building upon the foundation, uh, nobody ever built a home uh, or, uh, on, on, uh, or nobody ever lived just on a foundation. Amen? And if you did, you're crazy. You just live on a big old slab of concrete, you know? But uh, the, the thing I'm trying to show you here is that there's this foundation and then there's some framework to this foundation. With that same thought in mind, go to Ephesians chapter 4. Just a couple pages over. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verse... Number 16, from whom the whole body, look at this word again, fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth. Now this is, now if you've never meditated on this verse, I would encourage you to do so, right? There's a lot in here, okay? That which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. So there's a building that is built upon a foundation. This building is framed together by individual people, okay? And this building that's framed together, it then, it then uh, every joint, every, every uh, place where one piece comes together is a joint, and, it is, and it, is, uh, it, is, it is screwed together or nailed together, and each joint, it, it, is, it is fitly put together, and it says, and compacted. So there's pressure and there's strength. It's rigid. It's not slopping back and forth. It's not got a bunch of gaps in it. It's a rigid frame and it's compacted together. And this body or this building, uh, if you will, it effectually works. Okay, that it's continually. If you remember uh, that word effectually worketh, he talks about that with the word of God. That effectually worketh in you that believe. He's talking about the word of God there. Okay, and so if you keep that in mind, in the measure of every part maketh increase of the body and the edifying of itself in love. It's a self-sustaining building. This building is fitly joined together. It's compacted together. It's rigid. And it is strong on the foundation. And this building edifies itself. It grows itself through its own edification. It's self-sustaining. Okay? Do you see what I'm talking about tonight? Look in, uh, uh, if you will, in 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter number 1. Well, before you get to 2 Peter, go to 1 Timothy. I'll read that one first. 1 Timothy. First Timothy chapter 3, verse number 15. If you're going to build a building on a foundation, there's some things that are very important to have. 
Verse 15, 1 Timothy chapter 3. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtst to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God. Look at this. The pillar and ground of the truth. The pillar, right? The pillar, the pillar and ground of the truth. Now this church, he's saying, is a pillar. And you know what you know about pillars? If you, if you study pillars out, pillars, they hold weight. And these pillars are fastened to a foundation. And because of these pillars, it allows you to put beams across those pillars. And when you put beams across pillars, you can add height to the building. You understand? Okay, this building right now, it's held up. It's got every one of these little indents here. These are, these are pillars, if you will, that hold up the uh, cross section here. And it holds the entire weight of this building. And when, you're building a found, and when you're building on a foundation and you want to build a structure higher, right? You need to have strong pillars in place that can carry the weight of the building. You understand? Do you see what I'm trying to show you here is Jesus Christ is our foundation. And there's people that the Lord puts in the church because we know that the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. And he talks about the apostles and he talks about the elders and, the, and these people in the church. And these folks are holding up something and Jesus Christ started something. And this building has to be put together and structured in such a way that it can handle the weight of time itself. Folks, Without pillars, everything collapses. Matter of fact, when you, when you start getting into a, a high-rise buildings and skyscrapers, they have very intricate pillar systems that are designed to be able to take, whether it's seismic activity with an earthquake or wind activity from uh, you know, uh, different storms that blow through and that kind of thing. Matter of fact, in New York City, the, the skyscrapers, they have a single concrete pillar that goes up through, the, through that and it's reinforced with steel. And it goes all the way up to the top and then on the top of that pillar, there's a counterweight. And in the top of that pillar, as the building shifts back and forth, that counterweight goes to the opposite side to keep that building just fractions of inches as it sways back and forth. And it just seems as tall as you can possibly see. You say, what's the, what's the foundation? What's the strength of that building? It's the pillar. It's the pillar. Now, why is that important? Go to Galatians chapter number 2. Go to Galatians chapter 2. Let me show you something. I haven't forgot 1 Peter, okay? Galatians chapter 2, look in verse number 9. And when James, Cephas, and John, look at this, who seemed to be pillars... Perceive the grace that was given unto me. They gave to me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship that we should go into the heathen and they should under the circumcision. Here's these apostles, right? And the Bible says that they were perceived to be pillars. Jesus Christ lays a foundation and his apostles go out and they become pillars of the early church. You say, how in the world are we supposed to build on our foundation? We were, I was at Brother Andrew's house yesterday, and we were tilling up a garden, and uh, uh, another brother was there, and we were talking, and he was talking about uh, growing potatoes. And um, 
He obviously knew way more about it than we did. We was learning some stuff. <laughs> and uh, he says, you know what, you can, it's a funny thing you can do with potatoes. He says, you don't have to, we're, we're planning on making a big old bed and having to do it deep and, you know, all this different stuff to get the potatoes to enough depth to grow and, and everything. He says, well, what you can do, and what a lot of people do, is that they take tires or they frame little boxes, right, about six to eight inches high, and they put a potato plant in it. You put that potato plant in it, and as the potato plant grows, you add another tire, you add another layer, and you start building it up, and then you just leave about two inches of that potato plant, and it sends out roots, and then it grows, and then once it grows six or eight inches, you put another one on there, and you fill it full of dirt until one or two inches, and then it spreads out things there, and it says, you can go six to eight feet tall, and what you'll have is you'll have layers of potatoes on every one of those layers, so... And you have all these potatoes, but you're not taking up a bunch of space. You say, how in the world are we supposed to build on a foundation? Ladies and gentlemen here tonight, we're to build vertically. That's how we're to build. We're supposed to be able to build something not just wide, but tall. I've talked about this before, and, and you've heard it before. Uh, and that is the fact of your Christian life not just being a horizontal view, but a vertical view. And if all you do is pay attention to the things that are on this plane, then you're constantly going to be talking about and viewing and meditating on things in the carnal world. You have to transcend the carnal world and get above it and get more vertically higher towards the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's when your eyes get fixed upon Him. And that's when you, that's when you start to experience some spiritual stability. Amen? You have to build up. Now back to 1 Peter, and I'm going to get into the message here, and I'll show you where I'm going. 1 Peter. 1 Peter. Forgive me, 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter number 1. We're shown that we need to build vertically. We need to add to. 1 Peter chapter number 1, verse number 5. Certain verse 4. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Again, away from the carnality, and somehow to get closer to the Lord Jesus Christ and become spiritual. And how do we do it? Verse number 5. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see what he just said there? He says you start with a basis of faith, and then you have to continually build upward, and upward, and upward, and upward, and we build vertically. To get closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, in order to build vertically in our Christian lives or in our church, there needs to be pillars in place. Pillars provide strength. They are, they are they're tall, vertical um, pieces of material that can handle downward pressure. And that's what we need. We need pillars. You know, the Lord, He doesn't build anything without pillars. You know, the earth has pillars. That's in Job chapter 9, verse 6. Heaven has pillars. 
in Job chapter 26, verse 11. And if you're just, just wondering, uh, wisdom has pillars. And that's in Proverbs chapter 9, verse 1. It says, wisdom has hewn out her seven pillars. And then the church has pillars. The church has pillars. We just read that back in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. The, 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 the pillars and ground of the truth. Now, what is that? That's the church. The Lord Jesus Christ, you know how He builds? He builds with pillars. Because they can handle weight. They can handle pressure. You know what, folks? As a church, as individuals, you know what? We should have, we should have some of those characteristics of pillars. You know, I've, I've, I was... Uh, early in the church, early getting out of Bible college and, and starting to work in church and stuff like that. And I, I learned pretty quickly, you know, you look at people diff- you look at people in certain ways in the church. And I remember the first time, you know, I was there, I just, you know, I was at the church in Indiana and I saw all these people and, and I thought, you know, all these people are great. And, and I'm not saying that they're the opposite of that, that they're bad. Right, but we had we had a certain uh, group of folks leave the church, and I thought in my head, I said, "Oh my goodness, man! Without this, without this person, without these people, how could the church continue on? Right? How could the church continue on? Since I've been here, we've had that situation. I've had conversations with Pastor when I first got over here, and somebody would leave or something would happen, and I talked with him, and, and I thought to myself, man, how, uh, this person was such, had such a big impact in the church. And he told me something I'll never forget. And he says, sometimes when people leave, you, you see there's a void there. There's no doubt. You never just lose somebody, and it doesn't hurt or nothing, and you don't have any thought about it. But he says, you know what? The people, that, the folks that have left that you're seeing, he says, they're not the pillars. They're not the pillars. They're not the ones that are keeping this thing going. They're not the ones that are supporting the weight of the ministry. Listen, in order for a church to go on, it can't just be the pastor trying to bear the brunt of the ministry. It can't, as, the, as, the, as the ministry grows, the weight gets harder, and he needs other people to come in and become pillars alongside him. The church should be full of pillars. But so many times, Christians, nowadays... We can't bear any weight. The early sign of weight or affliction or trouble, you know what we do? We break like a toothpick under a concrete block. How are we? Are we pillars? How many pillars are in here tonight? How many pillars are helping to hold the weight of the ministry? How many folks are really getting under the load and walking beside and saying, you know what, I see that your arms are heavy. I see that the weight is heavy. Can I, can I help bear this load with you? You know what we need, folks? We need pillars. We need pillars. You know the first thing I want you to know about pillars? Is the function of pillars. You need to know, what does a pillar do? What does a pillar do? What's the function of it? Now, you know that it's to carry weight, but in your Bible, there's a much broader understanding. When you start to study this thing out, what you find out is the Bible is wonderful. And the Bible has a great way of giving insight on such a simple concept, and it becomes, there's more layers to it than what you thought at the beginning. 
You know what? As first as we've already spoke about it in a little bit, the first function of a, of a uh, pillar is, for, uh, is a supporter. It's a supporter. You find that when you start reading your Bible, you get over there and when Moses starts building the tabernacle over there in Exodus uh, and they start building the temple in 1 Kings and you know what you find? You find the word pillars all over the place because that's what they're using to hold up the uh, framework of the uh, tabernacle, to hold up the framework of the temple. Any buildings that are gone, you find all the time that there's pillars involved. And those pillars are overlaid with gold or those pillars. And what they do is they lay down large beams on those pillars. And it bears the brunt. It bears the weight. Right? They're structural. And, they, and they're, they're a supporter of the building. You see that in Moses. Here's Moses. And he's out there. And he's, he's keeping his hands up in the air. Right? And, he's, and, he, and when his hands are up, they win the battle. And when his hands come down, they start to lose. And there comes a time, you know, I was in a meeting one time, and there's a guy preaching on this, and I don't know why he picked me, but he did. And he put me up on the platform, and he sat me down in a chair, and he gave me, a, like a, I don't know, he gave me something in, in this hand, and he gave me something in this hand. I can't remember what it was. It was like, you know, a, a mop or something, and a broom in this one. And he says, just go ahead and uh, stand there and, uh, and hold this up while I preach. You know, at first it was like no big deal, but man, you know, 10, 15 minutes into that sermon, my, I'm starting to drop the hands, right? I'm like, what in the world is this guy doing? And I see the illustration, right? And, it's, and no, matter, no matter what it is, there comes a time, there comes a point where support is needed. And as Moses is holding his hands up and is trying to bear the brunt of what's going on in the battlefield from afar, Aaron and her come. You know what they do? They get underneath Moses' hands. You know what they do? They support him. You say, what are they? They're pillars. They're pillars. Oh, wait, you thought pillars were just preachers. Oh, no. Oh, no. They're not just preachers. They're not just preachers. You know what? The preacher needs pillars. You know what we read back in 1 Timothy? We read back in 1 Timothy uh, talking about the pillar and the ground of the truth. You know what the whole, the whole theme of uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3, or 2 Timothy, or 1 Timothy chapter 3 is? It's the requirements of a bishop and the requirements of a deacon. You, want, you know what deacons are in the church? You know what deacons do in the church? They take care of, the, they take care of all the frivolous stuff in the church, the building stuff, and, and they take care of the maintenance stuff. They, that's what deacons are supposed to do in the church. They're supposed to bear that brunt for the pastor. Because what's the bishop supposed to be doing? You know what his weight is for? Laboring in the Word of God in prayer. That's his job. He talked about this morning what he gets paid for. If he never, if he never changed a light bulb again, never, never picked up a screwdriver or a hammer or a nail ever again, he should be worth his weight in gold because of his meditation and because of his labor in the Word of God in prayer. That's what God called him to do. Let me ask you this. Where are the pillars? I'm not trying to put pressure on anybody. I'm just asking. Do you know what the first, you know what the first function of a pillar is? It's a supporter. Can I help? Can I help? Can I stand here? You just need me to hold your arm up? Sure. Put it on my shoulder. I'll stand right here with you. I'll bear the weight with you. It's a supporter. Not only that, it's not just a supporter, but it is a reminder. It's a reminder. 
Genesis chapter 28, here's Jacob. What does Jacob do? He gets himself in a bunch of trouble. He's running away from Esau, his brother, and they're on a collision course one for another, and he thinks the worst. And Jacob, he is uh, conniving and trying to figure out his way to meet his brother. And uh, that whole thing transpires and, man, it just, just, just lays him flat on his back. He's just worried sick. And uh, the whole thing works its way out and the Lord gets, through, gets him through that thing. And you know what he finds himself? He finds himself sleeping on a stone. And he has a dream and there's a ladder and there's angels ascending and descending. And uh, he wakes up from that dream. And he takes that stone that he was laying on and sleeping on, and the Bible says that he made it a pillar. And he called it Bethel. That was Genesis chapter 28. You know what happens in Genesis 31? Laban's after him. It's funny, this guy's always getting chased by somebody. (laughs) Right? Laban's after him. And he's got a bunch of problems, and he's labored and lied and connived his way. And yeah, Laban was mistreated him and everything else, but of course, he hasn't changed his ways much. And they get to a place, and him and Laban finally come to terms, and you know what he does? He has his men pile a bunch of stones, and he takes a stone, and he makes a pillar. And he says, I'm not going to cross here after you. You're not going to cross here after me uh, for harm of either one of us. You got it? All right. You say, what was that pillar there? It was to remind them of what in the world happened there. Because you know what happens in Genesis 35? Lo and behold, Jacob finds himself in a mess again. His daughters got all fouled up. All kinds of problems. And the Lord comes to Jacob and says, Hey, hey Jacob, this is towards the end of 31. He says, Jacob, you need to get back to Bethel. Where I first revealed myself to you. Remember that place? It was called the house of God. Right? Bethel. The house of God. And then you know what happens? The Lord reminds him. When he's out and everything is a mess and he's made a mess for himself and everything's going wrong, the Lord comes to him and says, you need to get back to Bethel. And you know what he does? He goes back to Bethel and the Lord ministers and the Lord shows up and the Lord speaks to him and he says, guess what? Jacob, your name's no longer Jacob. From here on out, your name is Israel. And I just want you to know, I'm the Lord God Almighty. Read the text. It's pretty awesome. And you know what he does after the Lord reveals himself? And he changes his name and then, tell, and then reveals him. He says, I am the Lord God Almighty. You know what Jacob does? In the same place, he makes another, he makes another pillar. And he calls it El Bethel. <clears throat> you know what that means? God's house. It changed. It was the house of God, and then it changed to God's house. It became more intimate. It became, it became more personal to Jacob. You know what pillars should do? They should remind us of where we once were or where we should be. They should be examples of things of the past that worked. They should be examples of things that took place in years gone by that we can look to and learn from and and know we need to, points of reference that we need to get back to. There's times in my life, there's pillars, there's Ebenezer stones, amen, there's Bethels in my life that sometimes I have to be reminded to get back to those places because I've gone too far away from them. Good pillars in our life, they remind us. 
Man, we need pillars. We need pillars. They're supporters. They're reminders. They're protectors. Pillars protect us. You remember when the children of Israel were getting out of Egypt? What does the Bible tell you? That went before, uh, excuse me, they went before them and they went behind them. A pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. A pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Right? It's a supporter. It is, uh, it's a supporter, it's a reminder, it's a leader. It goes before them. It shows them the direction in which they're supposed to go. Hey, follow me. <laughs> you want to know, I, I appreciate good leaders. I really do. I appreciate, I, listen, I appreciate somebody because it takes confidence to lead. You know that? It takes confidence to lead. You know what? It doesn't take you understanding everything 100% to lead. You know that, right? That's a misconception. Some people think, well, I can't possibly be a leader. Why? Because I'm not a professional at whatever it is I'm supposed to be doing. Now, listen, I'm not telling you to be a novice and go out there and lead people into a ditch, right? But you, ought, you need to have some confidence in order to lead people. And sometimes you don't have all the answers. But you know what you do? You have, you have an attitude and you have, and you have the, the grit and the wherewithal to say, hey, guys, follow me. You know what we don't have a lot of today? Leaders. We got a lot of sheep. Got a lot of followers. Got a lot of followers. Young men, I'm sorry to tell you. I'm sorry to tell you. Most young men I meet today are a bunch of followers. Most of them. Not all of them, but most of them. The world says jump, they say how high. Right? They follow these social media people and the trends of the day and the fashion of the day and everything else, and they follow these people that they're watching on YouTube and seeing on uh, Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and all these different social media platforms, and you subscribe to them, and you end up acting like them. Now you say, how come you're talking about the young ladies right now? Because I'm not worried about them leading. I'm worried about us leading. We're the leaders. We're the ones that can stand out from the crowd and say, I'm not following this dumpster fire. I'm not going to follow the folks at work so I can fit in with them so that I can just get along. I'm not, listen, I'm not going to walk in step with the trends of the world. I'm going to be my own man and tread the path that Jesus Christ wants me to go down. And I'm going to have to be a trailblazer to do that. And you're going to have to lead yourself. You're going to have to follow Jesus Christ. And if you can follow Jesus Christ, then you, you'll lead others with you. Amen. What's the problem? We don't follow Jesus Christ. We have a, we have a form of godliness but we don't have any power. You know what it takes to lead? It takes power to lead. You go to the gym, uh, and it's all these guys in there, and they're flexing, and they're doing this, and they're doing that, and they, and they think that they're jacked, and they have all these, you know. You think that man, you think that, that, you think you, you think that your toughness is a, make you a leader? It sure doesn't. Sure doesn't. You know, I, I followed Dr. Ruppman when I was in school. He wasn't no 
big. I remember the first time I saw him, I was like, he's stand, he was standing on a board behind the pulpit like you do with little kids. He had, a little, he had a little thing he pulled out and he stood up. He was a short guy. But man, could he lead. Man, could he lead. It's not your physical stature that makes you a leader. Say, what do we We need pillars. We need pillars. We need leaders. We need leaders. Not only does it lead, but it also, it's a protector. And uh, in um, chapter, uh, Exodus chapter 14, you know what you find out? As the, uh, as the folks in Egypt started following the nation of Israel, um, that pillar of fire and the cloud uh, during the day and the fire by night, it goes behind them. It goes from being in front of them to being behind them. And the purpose of it being behind them was to protect them from the ones that was chasing them. Say, what do pillars do? They protect you. They provide protection. They keep you out of trouble. Amen? I'm sure thankful for some folks that have kept me out of trouble. I can't take credit for all that. I'm not smart enough to keep myself out of all the trouble I could potentially get myself into. Amen? I need some pillars around me I can bounce off of every now and again. Amen. I do. I need that. I rely on that. I appreciate that. There's some pillars that I look at, and you know what? How do they protect you? Well, for one, they keep the ceiling from caving in on you. There's ones behind you saying, don't worry, you can keep going because all the nonsense that's behind you, I've got your back. You ever have somebody, man, you ever have somebody that comes and it's like, now that they're there, you, there's all the fear just kind of dissipates. You're like, I'm glad they're here, man. I'm glad they're here. I remember we was in the jail one time. We were doing jail check. And there was this cell we had to, we were doing a contraband check and everything. We were shaking the cell down. And they never like it when you shake their cell down because you take all their belongings and you throw them out into the day room. And they have to like, you know, they have to get all their stuff back. And, and they typically don't like you going through their stuff because they know that they got stuff they're hiding and you're going to find it, right? And so I'm in there and I'm with this other CO and he's... He's mighty midget, man. He's just this little tiny guy, scrawny. I mean, probably 150 pounds soaking wet. But man, did he have a stinking mouth on him. And we're in this cell. There's three inmates in this cell. All, all of them are over six feet tall. All of them are 250 pounds or more. And they're all jacked like this, you know. And they're screaming, boy. And he's just fueling the fire. And I'm thinking, we're going to die in here. We're going to get killed. And I'm, and I'm trying, you know, you never want to correct, you know, another CO when you're in the room in front of inmates. Because if they know that you guys are separated, it makes you look even weaker. And so they're going to actually do something, right? Well, he wasn't too intimidated, to say the least. And I remember this guy just shooting his mouth off. And I keep looking up at the control room. And I'm like making these little hand gestures like, send somebody in here. Because it's about to pop off. And he ain't going to help me at all. I was more worried about getting myself all beat up. <laughs> and I remember my corporal comes in there, and I hear that, I hear that buzzer click in that door, and, that, and they pop the door, and that door starts sliding over, and uh, uh, Corporal Oakley comes in, and he was like a bodybuilder. This sucker stood like 6'3", and he just comes walking in like this. And I'm thinking, yeah! <laughs> Thank God the cavalry has arrived. Shut this midget up, man! Got Napoleon syndrome or something, trying to make a name for himself. I'm like, he's going to get us both killed. You know, that guy comes in, and I'm like, man, I'm sure glad he's here because he'll protect me. <laughs> At least we'll have a fighting chance, right? 
You know what pillars do? They come in behind you and say, don't worry, I got your back. I just want you to know you're not, you're not whatever you're running from, whatever's uh, breathing down your neck, it's, uh, it, it's got to get through me before it gets to you. You know what? That's, that's what the church should be. It should be a place where folks can come in out of this world and the world's beating down on them and the world is chasing after them and they got all the devilment that's out there chasing after them. And when they come in here, those doors close and the pillars of this church come in behind that person and they say, hey, nothing's going to get to you as long as we're standing here. We should be a place where folks can come and feel safe. We shouldn't be a place that propagates nonsense that goes on in the world. That's, not, that's the stuff people are running from. You know that, right? You know what's really discouraging? When the same stuff you hear out in the world, you come to church and you hear the same thing. I thought this was supposed to be a safe place. I thought you were supposed to protect me from that stuff out there. Why are you talking about it in here? Listen, man, you got, you got six days out of the week to talk about that stuff. Why do you talk about it in here? Why are you coming out in the fellowship hall and it's just politics and it's this, that, and the other and it's anything but Jesus Christ? Why? Now, I don't know what you talk about out in the fellowship hall. I'm just speculating because I know people. <laughs> I'm not eavesdropping. You all know me. I'm, I'm, I'm very, hardly ever out in the fellowship hall. I'm not picking on nobody. I'm just saying what happens is, is that what can happen if you don't have enough pillars protecting folks, all the dangers in the world, it creeps back into the church and you're not protected. You know what we need pillars for? We need pillars to protect us. Keep us safe. Those are the functions, the biblical functions of pillars. And that goes for any, any, any part of your life. Because it's not just the church that needs pillars. I need pillars in my personal life. Amen? I need, listen, I need pillars in my family. I need pillars in my home. I need pillars at my job. I need pillars that are going to keep me growing closer to the Lord Jesus Christ where I can get elevation and closer to the Lord in my family and in my church and in my personal life and in my job. I want to make sure that I'm getting closer to the Lord Jesus Christ in all of those aspects of life and I need those pillars to help me. Dad, you need to be a supporter. You need to be a reminder. You need to be a leader. You need to be a protector. Mom, you need to be the same thing. At our jobs, we should be supporters and reminders and leaders and protectors. Amen. You see how this translates into all of your life? Those are the function of pillars. Not just that, but the formation of pillars. You know funny thing about pillars? You don't find pillars just in nature. If you need a pillar, you don't just, you don't just go out and say, uh, well, I just need to you know, go out in the woods and get me a pillar. You say, well, they're they can be made of wood. Yeah, I get that. <laughs> but you know what you find out? It takes a process to make it a pillar. You have to take, you have to take raw materials and manipulate them in such a way and formulate them in such a way and get them straight up and down where there's no bend to them, and there's no, there's no uh, warps in them, and there's no uh, gaps or holes or anything that would structurally cause this pillar to malfunction or to not uh, properly hold the weight. So you have to process that thing 
above and beyond what is found in nature because pillars don't just come ready to go from nature. You know what you find as you start uh, studying pillars in your Bible? All kinds of pillars made of all different kinds of things in your Bible. Shittim wood is one of the things. They make uh, uh, pillars out of cedar. They made pillars out of almond trees. They made brazen pillars. They cast brazen pillars. All kinds of materials. You know what every one of those materials has in common? They had to be processed. They had to be worked down, had to be cut, had to be hewn out, had to be cast, had to be chiseled. The formation of a pillar. You can't just take a tree, chop it down and say, I'm going to stick this in my building. <laughs> you got to take it to the sawmill and cut it and make sure that it's the right size. And, and then you have to make sure that there's no uh, knots and stuff like that that could compromise the structural integrity of the beam. Because beams have to be strong. Pillars have to be strong. And the process, there are scientists now, they've... they've, they've uh, They've got a material now that's less costly than steel, but it's three times stronger than steel, and it's made from wood. You say, how do they get, how do they get wood so strong? You know what it is? It's a process of great heat and great pressure. And through a process of great heat and a process of great pressure... They allow, it allows that to, to, to uh, become more dense and more dense and more dense. And the denser the material, the stronger the material and the more weight that it can hold. And that's how they make pillars. You want to know how you become a pillar? You know how you can be formulated into a pillar? It takes heat and it takes pressure and it takes problems and it takes failures and it takes hurt and it takes pain. And every time that tree bends or that little, all the little uh, strands and the little fibers that run up that tree and they're, they're set with this uh, like linen or something like that and they have resin and stuff and as those capillaries, they bend and they move and they crack and then they harden again and as the tree heals itself and the more that that tree uh, suffers some, some turmoil and pressure, the stronger and the denser it gets and the larger it gets and as it expands and each one of those fibers gets more and more dense, the stronger the tree is and that's how you make pillars. You know what you don't make pillars out of? Saplings. You don't, listen, you don't take an inch round tree and say, I'm going to make a pillar out of this thing. That's not how it works. It's a process and it takes time. It takes time to become pillars. You know what the problem with a lot of churches is today? You want to know who their pillars are in their church? All the young people. They're young people churches. And we got to focus on the teenagers because they're the future. Now, I agree with the sentiment that the teenagers are the future. And there has to be some outreach and there has to be some development and understanding that you can't just forget the young people. But they're not the pillars of your church. They're not. Why? Because they're still growing. They're still growing. When you have a business meeting, you want to call the youth group in? That's a no. Don't say that. <laughs> right? <laughs> you, don't want the, you don't want the teens in the business meeting to discuss financial, uh, you know, di direction of the church. Amen? You say, why is that? Because they blow money on, like, you know, dumb stuff. That's what kids do. That's what I do sometimes. You know, you blow money on dumb stuff. Right? 
When, you were, when I was young, I thought it was cool that every car I had had to have rims and a big speaker system and all that kind of stuff. Because why? Because I wanted to be cool. Right? So you blow money on that. You blow money on frivolous things. Because you haven't grown up yet. And you get grown up and you start to get a little more conservative. They say, they say you know, you're more liberal when you're young. And then as the older you grow, you get more conservative as you grow up. That's because you've been beat around and had to pay taxes enough. You're like, my goodness, man. I have to, I have to really rein it in. <laughs> right? I have to become more mature in, in how I approach things. And I can actually get hurt. I'm not indestructible. You know, I have to maybe measure myself a little bit. And as you get larger and you go through things and heartaches and troubles, you know, some of you folks in here, you've been through a lot. Lord could, Lord could, could have some pillars, man. Could have some pillars. How do, you get through, how do you get through hard times? Pastor said it this morning. He, says, he said this morning, he says, it's not, just, it's not just going through things that makes you strong spiritually. It's going through things with Jesus. There's a difference. There's plenty of people with gray hair that I wouldn't follow 10 feet. You understand? There's a lot of, just because you're aged doesn't mean I'm following you anywhere. That one went over like a lead balloon. (laughs) I'm serious. I've met some older people. I wouldn't trust them for nothing. Why would I get advice from them? I, listen, I, I'm, not, I'm, not trying to, I'm not trying to be brash or mean or anything else like that. But you know what ends up happening is a cycle of life. When you're a baby and a toddler, everything's about you. And everything's to be served to you. And you're owed everything. And you're never thinking about anybody else. Well, life is cyclical. A cyclical. Or cyclical. That's what it is. Cyclical. Right? And you know what ends up happening is that as you get older, it tends to come back to be the same way. And now everything's about you and how you're treated and how you feel and what can they do for you and you and you and it's your health and it's your this and it's your that. And it becomes the same thing it was when you were a toddler. And in the time where they should be pillars, they can't hold any weight. Why? Too focused on yourself. You're not holding the weight for anybody else. You're worried about yourself. Say, are you a pillar? I don't know, are you? How much weight you holding? Are you supporting anybody in here? You thought it was just money. It's not just money. It has very little to do with money. Although money is a part of it. Are you supporting anybody? How about this? Are you protecting anybody? Or when they're not around, are you just destroying them? Talking bad. Nothing good to say about anybody. Always talking about yourself. Not protecting anybody. You leading anybody? Can anybody, hey, can anybody follow you? If, if someone were to follow you in your routine and in your example, would they get closer to Jesus or further away? If somebody came in here and got saved tonight, and we put them with you and said, listen, you follow this person and, and their example. Would they get closer to Jesus or further away? Are you a pillar? Listen, pillars don't just happen in nature. It's a process. 
but it's a process that has to be done by the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know what? Yeah, young people, you know, uh, you may not be in a situation right now where you're going to be a pillar of the church. I get that. But you know what you can do? Somebody around you, you can be spiritual in, in their eyes. You can be an example to, 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 the folks, to the young folks around you. We go up to camp and we go to these youth rallies and we go to these different places. And you know what you can be? You can be an example to them. You can, you can support them. You can lead some of them. You can protect some of them. Nothing gets me more mad than at youth camp when we get a bunch of kids together and a bunch of teenagers together. And undoubtedly what ends up happening is, is there's this one nerdy kid and there's this one person who doesn't quite fit in with everybody else. And they, they, got, they look funny and they dress funny and they smell funny. And they don't have the personality that lends itself to making friends all that easy. And then you always have this group of people that think it's their job to just make sure that everyone knows that they're cooler than that person. You know what I love? When I see some teenager come up and start protecting that guy. You say, what are you doing? You're being a pillar amongst your little saplings. That's what you are. You're being a pillar. The formation of a pillar it takes hard times. It takes a process. It's a heat. It's a pressure. How well do you take pressure? How well do you take pressure? Can the Lord put it on you? Or do you just clam up? Do you just bend and break? Lastly, I'll say this, the fitting of a pillar. Pillars don't install themselves. Pillars have to be placed into position. Not all pillars are overlaid with gold either. Not all pillars are like the ones in the in the temple that got to hold the lily work. Amen? But pillars, no matter how they look or how they're viewed, they have to be put in place. They have to be put in place. You know what? There's a, uh, over in 2 Samuel chapter number 18, verse 18, the Bible says about Absalom that he reared up for himself a pillar. You know what he called it? Absalom's place. We had somebody in the church a while ago, and they made a comment in the conversation we were having, and they said, I want to be, I want to be a woman that other mothers look up to and come to, uh, come to me for advice about how to rear their children. That's what she said. Here's the problem. Nobody viewed her that way. Now, she's not here anymore, so I'm not, and I'm not mentioning any names or anything. I'm not trying to you know, be stupid or anything. But that was what she wanted. And so what she continually did, and it caused a lot of problems with, with moms and stuff, was she kept inserting herself in that place. Because everybody has an opinion about how you should raise your kids. Right? And everybody thinks their way is the best. So she would continually insert herself and insert herself and give her information and give this, that, and the other. But the problem was, is the proof's in the pudding. <laughs> and the pudding was bad. Amen? It was sour pudding. 
But you know what? Sometimes we have such a desire to be looked up to. And we have such a desire to be the one that people come to us for advice. We want to be that pillar. We want to be that one that commands respect. We want to be that one that people say, I'll follow that guy. You can't make yourself that. And the harder you try to make yourself that, the more you won't be that. Because you can't force it. Absalom says, hey, I'm going to be a pillar. He didn't care one thing about those people in that country. All those people that he fawned and, and, he, and he tried to pamper at the gates of the city behind David's back. All those, he says, oh, well, if I was king... He was schmoozing with all these people. He didn't care one thing about those people. He only cared about his reputation and the way people perceived him. That's all he ever wanted. Those people were fodder to him. You know, true pillars, like David, he cared about his people. He cared about the folks that followed him. The folks that came to him in the cave of Doom, he cared about those people. He cared about them. And when he found out that he messed up and those people were getting hurt and because of some problems and there was a couple times that David messed up and those people paid on account of his mess up, he wept and cried and pled to the Lord, please do it to me, not to them. Why? Because he was a real pillar. You want to know how you become a pillar? You can't put yourself there. You got to really care about the folks you're trying to minister to. And it's not just showing what you know or what you think you know and always giving your advice when it's not asked for and always trying to be that person and trying to be that guy. And listen, if you're going to be that guy, God will make you that guy. I remember Dr. Lynch saying one time in a message down in Pensacola, he said this. He says that God has given, he was talking about Dr. Ruckman, he says God has given your pastor the ability to attract and lead young men. And he says that not everybody's given that gift. I was like, that's pretty good. Because there's nothing worse than somebody trying to be a pillar that ain't a pillar. You got to be placed in that thing. You could try to make it yourself. You know what else you could do? You could become one. You could become one. Say, so what are you talking about? Genesis? Remember Lot's wife? They're fleeing Sodom and Gomorrah. And all of a sudden, he says, don't turn back. Don't look back. Don't look back at the old things of the world. Keep your eyes off of the world. Keep your eyes off the world. Keep your eyes focused on where you're going. And what does she do? She turns herself around. And the Bible says she became what? A pillar of salt. Demoth hath forsaken me. What? Having loved this present world. Say, I don't, I think what you're talking about tonight is a bunch of hogwash. You're just trying to, you're just, you're, you're, you're just shooting off your mouth. You don't really know what you're talking about. All right, well, keep going down the way you're going. You'll become a pillar someday. Because in Luke, we're reminded, remember Lot's wife. And why is that so important? Especially in the day and age in which we live, when the world is louder and brighter and more vibrant than it has ever been, and more accessible than it has ever been, there's more and more people that become pillars than are made pillars. 
And yeah, you'll be the one that we look back and remember and say, boy, he could have really been something. Man, all the potential that person had. But they just couldn't keep their eyes off the world. They just couldn't get their mind uh, uh, turned on Jesus. Couldn't keep their eyes on Jesus. Just kept, just, kept, just kept going against everything that was being preached. Had their own opinion. Had their own way of doing things. Had their own way of doing everything. They always had their own, their own agenda. And now they're over there. And yeah, you'll, you'll be a pillar. But you won't be supporting anybody. You'll be by yourself in the middle of a field so that everyone from afar can look and say, what could have been? How'd they mess up? Wouldn't you hate to be remembered for how you messed up for all eternity? Man, I'd hate that. I'd hate that. You know, I know people, I know Christians right now that that's what they're known for. And until, until the Lord gives us a new mind, that's all you're going to ever think about them. For what they did. How they messed up. What got them out. Well, they're not here anymore. Yeah, they speak volumes. They do. They speak volumes. Or, you could let God make you a pillar. You could let God fit you. Like Paul said, I thank God what having put me and placed me into the ministry. Right? I, I thank God that He made me a pillar. He brought me through the toils and the troubles and the trials of life and through the wind and the storms and the rain and all the heartaches and the heat that was placed on me and the great pressure that was placed on me. The Lord Jesus Christ saw fit to put me in a place as I just kept my head down and just kept focusing on trying to stay close to Him. All of a sudden, unbeknownst to me, God raised me up as a pillar and was able to trust me with a little bit of weight and a little bit of pressure and allowed me to be a supporter and allowed me to be a reminder and allowed me to be a leader and allowed me to be a protector for somebody else. God has to do that. In Revelation, He says, To him that overcometh will I make a pillar. Now I know He's talking about old te- or, uh, re- uh, tribulation saints, but in the same regard, again, God chose, God chose deacons in the early church. God chose apostles. You know what he says over in Ephesians chapter 4, he, uh, right before he talks about the whole uh, body and the building being fitly joined together? He says and he gave some apostles and prophets and uh, evangelists and preachers, uh, pastors and teachers. He said, what did he do? He raised those people up to be pillars for other folks. To be pillars. Folks that can take weight. Folks that can take, the, take a brunt. Somebody who can take a little bit of ridicule. Somebody who can take a rebuke. Somebody who can take some reproach. Somebody that can be faithful and be here all the time. How are you going to be a pillar and you can't be here? You see that? You say, that's just, that's just in the church. How about your life? God make you a pillar? How's he going to make you a pillar if you don't have pillars in your own life? You know what's a pillar in your life? How about your Bible reading? How's your Bible reading? What is that? That's a pillar. How's your prayer life? That's a pillar. Are you telling other people about Jesus Christ? Why? Your testimony and your witness, what is that? It's a pillar. It helps you get up. It helps you add layers. It helps you add the second story and the third story and the fourth story. Without the pillars, you can't grow upward. 
Let me ask you this. Has God made you a pillar? Let me ask you this. Do you want God to make you a pillar? Some folks say, "Uh uh-uh. I don't want it. I don't want people to look at me and rely on me and account on me. That's the way a lot of Christians are. I'll come to church. I'll sit down. I'll buy my time. I'll listen to your stinking mouth run for 45 minutes to an hour, and then I'm going to go home and live my life. But maybe there'll be some Christians that say, you know what? I'd like to be a pillar. Because you know what you find out in the early church when he talks about those apostles being pillars? You know what you find out? Is you know what the church is, the pillar and the ground of the truth? That the foundation is Jesus Christ, and then he put some pillars there, these apostles. And those apostles preached and taught, and folks got called to preach, and folks got called to minister in the church. And that's why Paul talks about ministries and all the different ministries, not just preaching, but ministries of helps and, 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 and providing for people and hospitality and all this different stuff. All these ministries, and those pillars stood up. And then the church went through another generation, and then more pillars were placed in place And then more pillars were placed in place. And what you are standing on today is a result of pillars throughout history that the church is still standing on. Can I ask, you know what what really scares me? I don't see anybody coming up behind me. Been doing youth camps for a long time now. I I can't remember two Young men say, I'm called to preach. I can't remember any. What's going to happen in the church if the Lord tarries? There going to be any pillars left? Wonder, I wonder if the rapture is dictated based on which uh, generation of the church just truly drops the ball. Some of you in here, you're just holding on, hoping for the rapture. I get that. I hope for the rapture too. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying right now. I'd love for it to happen tonight. Amen? But what if? If the church starts failing to produce pillars, that that is the catalyst for the rapture. Because there's nobody left standing and it can't grow anymore. And the Lord says, you know what? Better come back because it ain't. It ain't going to go any further. I had an old preacher tell me just last year. He says, he says, who's coming up after you? He says, my generation is all going to be dead and gone, and you're the ones after us. Who's coming in after you? Who's going to be there to keep the church going for your kids? I don't know. I don't know. You know what we need tonight? We need some folks to say, you know what, Lord? I know that it's hard, and I know that it's going to take some pressure, and it's going to take some heat. But, Lord, would you make me a pillar? Lord, I'd like to, I'd like to support somebody. Lord, I don't know how, I don't see it in myself. When you look at a tree out in the woods, you don't say, well, that's a pillar. 
Until somebody with a masterful craftsmanship hand can take that tree and formulate it or take that iron and melt it down and cast it into a perfect straight beam, you don't say, that's a pillar. A pillar has to be made. You say, I'm not a pillar. Maybe you don't think so. Are you willing to be made one? Church here tonight, is there any, is there any pillars in Anchor Baptist Church? Let me ask you, if the Lord tarries 10, 15, 20 years, will we still be here? You want to know what allows a church to keep going on into the future? It takes pillars. It takes pillars in the church to keep the lights on. It takes pillars in the church to keep the ministries going. It takes pillars in the church to make sure everything keeps up and there's a place for people to come and they feel comfortable and they feel welcome and we can be that protecting force from the world. Because you know what there's a lot of? Sometimes you go to these houses. I've been to a lot of them. We've put a lot of them in. We've installed a lot of stuff. And we put in pillars. You know what they are? They're just decorative. The structure is already supported by the foundation of the house, and, and, the, and they just had the floor joists come a little further out, and that's what's supporting the overhang, and they just put the pillars underneath it for looks. You know what? I don't want to be a decorative pillar. You got to get to the place where I don't care if I get overlaid with gold or if I get carved with lily work or if I get to be the one that's placed in the Holy of Holies or if I'm the one that's holding the open door back here by the dung gate. I just want to be a pillar. Because as we learned from the beginning of this sermon tonight, everything's fitly joined together and they're compressed together. And we move together. And we support weight together. And you don't bear the burden yourself. You bear it together with all the other pillars. Can I ask you all tonight? Would you be made a pillar? Would you say, Lord, I don't see it in myself, but maybe you can make me a pillar. I don't think I have the qualifications, but Lord, I'm willing to let you to work on me. Because you want to know what the true test of a pillar is? Some of you in here, some of you in here, I appreciate your testimony. Some of you in here, I, I know your pillars. And I appreciate your work. And I know Pastor talks about it a lot. And, uh, and, and, and your sacrifice and how you give and how you're always available and how you're constantly looking to do something and stand in the gap wherever you can. And we appreciate it. I appreciate it as a young man looking up to these folks. But you want to know the true test of a pillar? Is how long it holds the weight. It's the test of time. Ladies and gentlemen here tonight, we need pillars. Would there be somebody here tonight say, Lord, you can make me a pillar. I know I'm, I feel like, I feel like I'm a little sapling. I feel like I'm just a, I'm just an inch, I'm just an inch diameter, Lord. I, I, I sway every time the wind blows. Okay, well, would you ask the Lord to strengthen you so he can make you a pillar? Would you ask the Lord to grow you so he can make you a pillar? You say, I got some defects. Okay, you know what you need to do? Go ahead and get that thing repaired. Get some glue in there. Weld the thing so that you can regain your strength so that you can be a pillar. Would there be somebody here tonight say, Lord, make me a pillar? bow our heads for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you, Lord, for letting us be in church tonight. Father, I pray that you'd talk and minister to your people. 
Father, we need pillars in the church. God, I want you to make me a pillar. I don't want to become one because of my failure. I don't want to try to make myself one so that folks think of me more highly than they ought to think. Lord, I don't want to just be an outward reputation. Lord, I want to have some genuine spiritual strength. God, I pray for our church. I pray for our young people. I pray for our, our, our older folks. I pray for everybody in this room tonight, Father, that maybe you'd put something on their heart and they would say, Lord, would you make me a pillar? Would you hew me out? Would you grow me? Whatever flaws, defects I have, would you just take care of them so that I could be one that can support and remind and lead and protect and fulfill the whole function that you laid out for us to be pillars in the day and age in which we live, Father. We need them. I pray those that are standing and strong now, I pray that you'd keep them strong. Father, I pray that you'd help them to be more influential. And I pray that you'd undergird them, Father. Help our pastor. We just ask you to bless this time of invitation. In Jesus' name, amen.